Hello and welcome to The Raw, your Sunderland Echo SAFC podcast. I'm Mark Donnelly and we're joined this week, back from his week off by Phil Smith. How are you doing, Phil? Yes, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. The cricket season, hopefully, maybe nears. So my mood rises with every day that that comes closer. And the burning question before we get into the week that's been at Sunderland, a week off, how's the football manager save looking after seven days of, of no doubt hammering that? I haven't, I haven't played for ages. I haven't because um, I successfully defended my Premier League title with Tottenham and was feeling pretty good about everything. And then I had a wretched start to the next season. Couldn't work out why. Um, and yeah, my, my stress levels and rage levels were, were reaching the point where I'm old enough now to know where when I'm in the red zone. Um, so I shut it down and I haven't been back since. Um, so we'll see how long that lasts. Well, there's 20 minutes of football manager chat shot off the podcast, but we'll, we'll move move quickly on to Sunderland and, and the week that's been. And the big news, obviously, John McLaughlin has has now left the club. Sunderland offered him a new contract. He's he's turned that down and signed for Rangers on a, a two-year deal. Uh, not a huge surprise. I think most people expected McLaughlin to leave, but no, that doesn't really kind of nullify that the disappointment that a lot of people are, are feeling that arguably Sunderland's best player over the, the last two years has now moved on. No, I think I think that's right. Um, I, I think there's probably kind of like two elements to John going. One is that we are all have a bit of understanding of the game, and so I think we all understand that where Sunderland are right now, they were not going to be able to stop John McLaughlin realistically from going to Rangers. Um, you know, in terms of the sport and the fact that it's such a, a club of, of range size in Scotland, I think means it is a bit of a step up where Sunderland are now. And it's rubbish that that's the case. It's rubbish that Sunderland aren't as good an opportunity as Rangers at the moment. Um, we don't have to accept that. We don't have to say it's okay, but I think we understand that, that is the case. Um, I think it's also pretty obvious, and I don't think I would be spilling any great secrets here to say that the contract offer that eventually went to John a couple of weeks ago, given the current climate, was not one that was going to compete with Rangers. I think everyone's aware of that. I don't think I'm sort of, you know, let, letting anything major out out the bag there. It was not a contract that was going to compete with what Rangers were offering. Having said that, just because in the current situation and the way things are, this is a fairly natural move. I don't think, from my view, that means we can just say, oh, well, never mind. Um, on we go. Sporting-wise, it doesn't have to be the biggest crisis in the world because I think Lee Burge is a decent goalkeeper. I think he was probably too good to be a backup in League One. But even so, as you mentioned, arguably Sunderland's best player um, from the past two years has gone. He's gone for nothing. There's no return on the asset, which is something that is you know we, we've spoken about before. So soon after the Josh Madger saga, it's, it, it's, it's not a good thing. On a kind of um, personal or emotional level, however you want to describe it, there's a sadness on my part that such a good character has left the building. Yeah, you know, I think if I look back to, I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but if I look back to that kind of chart and defeat and I trace what's happened since in the 12 months since, too many really good people have left the club. And yeah, each one has different circumstances and in some it's made sense or whatever. But just generally speaking, when I look at the people who've gone from the club, that's staff and players, I think too many people, have, good people have gone and I do feel sad about that. And I think it's also... Kind of the last point I'd make on it, I think it's perfectly valid and absolutely right to raise some questions about the way contract negotiations are handled at Sunderland because yet another contract negotiation with a senior player has been bungled. Um, 
you know, even though the strategy that they pursued with Josh Madger in terms of being publicly kind of being quite critical of his agent, trying to kind of put some pressure on the player, backfired spectacularly. And yet exactly the same approach was taken just over six months down the line with John McLaughlin. And John McLaughlin having coming off previous season, being Sunderland's arguably best player and goalkeeper being a position of absolute strength, all of a sudden, a few months down the line, it was a position of total uncertainty. John McLaughlin's form dipped, and I'm sure he wouldn't make excuses, but I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to work out that what was going on behind the scenes wasn't good. Um, and yeah, people can turn around, the club are entitled to turn around and say that John's demands, they didn't feel he was worth it. But I think when you knock on one of your best players' doors and say you want to offer him a new contract, when that player's earning a fraction of what some of the players in the squad who aren't even in the team are earning, I think they're entitled to put turn around and put their demands forward and I think to then go public and suggest that they're being unrealistic. Now, they may well take the review that's unrealistic and we don't know the exact figures. So maybe we would all say that what they were asking for wasn't quite right. But the way it was done for me, I felt from that point onwards, it was going to be very, very difficult to reach any sort of agreement. Um, and I think it's fair to ask why that's happened again and whether the, you know whether some question needs to be asked of someone's process because you know between Stuart Donald and, and Richard Hill who does a lot of these negotiations you kind of think yeah a lot of what we've seen leaves quite a bit to be desired to be honest. Yeah I think that was the, the feeling I had was that I think if you take the John McLaughlin case in, in isolation you know yes he's a good goalkeeper but you wouldn't say he was irreplaceable I think it's about a lot more than that now and it's about fans feeling these contract negotiations aren't being handled in the way they should be, that they're being allowed to drag on maybe for a little bit longer, as you say. So while well, the Josh Madger thing's still so raw, I think this is just another another real blow to supporters. Um but as you touched on there, I mean for for John himself, a move to, to Rangers, you know, a huge club, the opportunity of European football, it's a it's a great move for him. Yeah, it is, and it's one he's totally deserved. You know, we mentioned before he didn't quite hit the heights at the start of the season, but certainly the last five, six months he came close to being back to his best. It's a tremendous sporting opportunity. And I, I think there's a couple of other things I just wanted to address on this. And I did write a column on it earlier in the week, which is somewhere on my Twitter if, if you know people listening were interested in it. Um, I suspect they aren't, but if, if they are, they're more than welcome to go and have a look. But I think there's a couple of, of points I wanted to make. One was that, yeah, you know, as has been mentioned, John does have a track record of leaving clubs. Um, at the end of a contract and getting good moves you know between him and his agent you look at the course of the career and you'd have to say yeah they've made good decisions at a good time and he's been rewarded for it um, but I, I asked I raised this issue with John three or four times during his time at Sunderland and he said yes I've always moved around a lot but I want to stop now you know um, I, my, me and my family like it here we'd like to, ha- to kind of put an end to that process of moving Um and it's up to people whether they believe he was genuine in that or whether he had a, you know, and always had a design on leaving. I don't believe it's the case. Everything I, everything, all the contact I had with John, I think he was a pretty sincere character, and I think he genuinely did want to to, to stay at the club. Now, part of it is just the price of of not getting promoted. You know, um, it wasn't in anybody's plan for Sunderland to have two failed attempts to get out of League One. So that is something that has to be acknowledged when we discuss this as well. But. I don't believe, I guess, is what I'm trying to drive at. It was inevitable that he was going to leave. Um, admittedly, it was always going to be difficult to keep him when you're not in the championship. And the other thing I would say is, as well, is, is I'd just re- remind people as well that, you know, around the time when we were talking about the contract last summer, there was a lot of interest and everyone knows that there were championship clubs looking at John. Um, and, you know, the chairman made public noises basically saying he's not for sale, um, kind of saying, you know, they asked what the price was and I said, can you get five million? 
They said no, so I said that's his price. Well, if you believe a footballer is worth five million or potentially worth even more than five million, probably figures that they might want to pay rise on the back of that. No, I don't know. I mean, I, like I say, it's I'm not going to make big judgments because I don't know the specifics of the numbers, and so I don't think it's helpful to get in that. But I think there are a lot of things that were said. Um, that I wonder now whether they were sensible, whether they were right. And I think that raises some questions given what had happened with Josh Madger in the same year. One deal Sunderland have managed to get done is obviously Chris Maguire, who's had the, the year's option and his contract exercised. Not a, a huge surprise to see that deal exercised, but a, a good a good um, deal for Maguire, really, because you know if we go back to the turn of the year he was maybe struggling a little bit but he's someone who's really embraced Phil Parkinson's methods really worked well in that system and seems to have come on and got that level of consistency that everyone was hoping he could hit in, in the last few weeks before the season ended yeah i think it's i think it's a no brainer because even in normal times um it's a no brainer that you'd want Chris part of your squad going into next season in the current climate, he could be an even greater asset, really, given that I think a lot of other teams will be losing kind of key players. So it just gives you that solid base moving forward. Um, he's a player who gives you a little bit of versatility as well. You can easily play in a 4-4-2, a 4-2-3-1, a 3-4-3, as we've seen. So, yeah, I'm, I think it's a really good move. I'm sure it's reassured supporters. It's reassured me a little bit that whatever happens next season, you've got Gooch, Maguire and Embleton under contract. That, for me, is hugely reassuring because there's goals and there's craft in those three so whatever happens you kind of take a little bit of reassurance that there's going to be some quality in that squad next season I mean I think for Chris is it you know as always it'll be consistency he did have some excellent spells under Jack Ross we shouldn't forget that he did have periods where he looked like one of the best players in the team it's just a case of can he do it for a full season and that's always going to be the question of Chris he suggested under Phil Partinson he can do and fingers crossed he does but yeah, just generally, that's one of those things that it just felt like, yeah, a little bit reassuring that that box has been ticked. And like I say, when you've got those trio of attacking players under contract for next year, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot that we're all worried about, and, and rightly so. But that just that just gives you a little bit of calm. Whatever happens, there will be a bit of craft and there will be a bit of proven quality in that squad moving into the next season, whenever it does begin. So the only question mark now over the, the senior players who were offered new contracts is, is Tom Flanagan. There's been reports this week of championship interest in him. He's publicly said when he, he spoke to us in March, I think it was, a long time ago now, that, that he wanted to stay and it would take something special for him to, to leave the club. What's your kind of gut feeling on him? Because he is a player who, who probably will attract some interest because he's got that international pedigree and, and he is very, very versatile across a back three or back four. No, that's a really good question. And sometimes just, I actually have no idea what's going to happen there. Um, I think it's a really, really interesting one. The first thing I would say is that I obviously, I don't know what he's been offered in terms of a contract. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know at this stage whether some have made him the kind of deal that would be difficult to turn down or one that's made him think, well, actually, I might look elsewhere. I, without that, it's very difficult to make a judgment. What I would say is that um, if he does get a move to the championship, then, you know, kind of good on him. Um, see how he makes that step up. It would be really interesting to watch. He's definitely got a lot of talent. I've always been of the assumption that he would probably stay just because I think he seems to have a really good relationship with Phil Parkinson. Um, you know, Flanagan was, he, he played a lot of football under Jack Ross, but he wasn't necessarily kind of guaranteed of his place. Under Phil, he's really made that slot on the left of the back three his own, you know, to the point where there was no debate over who was going to play in that position. We knew it was going to be Tom Flanagan on the left of the back three. 
the manager spoke a lot about little bits of his game that they'd worked on in training and that they thought they'd made improvements on. And it just seemed to be a dynamic that was functioning really well. So, um, yeah, my instinct always was that Partinson would push to keep him when I wasn't sure with Aleem, for example. I always felt he would offer Tom something. And I always felt that Tom would probably stay at the moment. What would drive us out is what kind of terms has he been offered and, and, and how genuine is the interest from other clubs because that's obviously the big unknown. So, yeah, I've, I've always felt that he would stay, but it is going to be really interesting to, to, to see what comes next. We also saw the, the under-23 and under-18 decisions made this week. So, in, in the 23s, there were, or in the 23s and 18s, a lot of players released. It was Brandon Taylor, Jordan Hunter and Benji Kimpioka who were still considering the offers that have been put to them by Sunderland. What were your, your thoughts on that list, Phil, and, and the players who were offered fresh contracts? I mean, Benji was was no real surprise. We've known he's been in talks with the club for a while, but but the other players who've been offered deals, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I mean, Brandon, obviously, is he's a, he's a, he's a, a good under-23 player, and we know Phil Partinson quite likes him because he made a big impression, didn't he, in that game. He, he played in the FA Cup for Gillingham when he kind of held his own. So no surprise at that. Jordan's had a good year on loan as South Shields. Um, it's kind of proven he can do it in man's football, admittedly, at a low level. But I think he's got a big decision to make because he's probably at an age now where he's thinking, do I really want to be playing under-23s football for another season or do I just want to be getting out and playing some competitive action somewhere? So it'll be interesting to see whether they take that. But obviously, you know what the retained list did highlight was... One, there's still some good players in that academy. Dan Neal, Jack Diamond, Cole Keenan, um, Jake Hackett. Still some really good players in that academy, but there is an unbelievably huge rebuilding job to be done in those teams in the summer. You know, Obviously, the first team will get, will get attention because there's a rebuild there, but there is so much very, very good work that needs to be done to get those under-18 and under-23 teams anywhere near able to compete um, at, at the level that they need to against the teams and budgets that they face in those Premier League under-23 divisions. Um, you know, Paul Reid's spoken a bit about some overhauls he's done with the, with the recruitment side of things within the academy. We know Jed McNamee came back this year. Um, I think we all accept that whilst they're in League One, they're not going to be able to compete with the likes of Liverpool in terms of budgets. But yeah, there is such a huge amount of work that needs to be done and there is some investment that needs to go into those teams. It's absolutely crucial. Um, because at the moment, as we've discussed for a lot of reasons, there's a little bit of a gap opening between the sort of under-14, under-16 teams where there's a lot of talent and really good players and the first team where there's been a lot of departures and where there's there's kind of a little bit of a gap opening up, which is hugely concerning for everybody. I guess the concern with the, the 23s in particular, obviously we, there's, there's play, we know there's players that are looking at Will Harris, Nathan Larker, Tyler Hamilton that they had on trial, but if... Barley Mumbo has expected completes his move to, to Norwich City, which is edging closer if, if Benji Kimpioka leaves, if Brandon Taylor leaves. It does leave that squad really, really short and needing not just a few players to, to supplement it, a real considerable amount of incoming players to, to be able to have a competitive squad. Yeah, it's huge. And, and there are a couple of things to stress here as well. As one is that, you know, as we've discussed before, you know, Category 1 academies aren't designed to be League 1 clubs. And there's a good reason for that because as we've seen with the likes of, you know, Ruben Samet and players of that ilk, if you're 22, 23 at Sunderland, you should be pushing for the first team. Um, you know, if you're a Category 1 academy player at 22 who can't get a game in League 1, then the system doesn't really work, if that makes sense. So it isn't an easy team to recruit into. Um, but having said that, the scale of the departures from, you know, the under-18 setup 
you know, the players who we've discussed who've left it sort of 16, 17, have just left those teams that aren't able to be competitive and we can't put any simpler than this. Given the amount of teams who want to push up from Category 2 to Category 1, it's going to be very, very, very difficult for someone unless they get teams that can compete at that level and start kind of getting that pathway back between the under-14 and under-16s where there's still a lot of really good work going on and the first team. It's a really, really concerning thing. Um, and there is investment, we can't put it any simpler, there is investment that needs to go into that academy and investment that needs to go into those teams. And, you know, we I don't want to go over and over it because we spoke a lot about Bali a couple of weeks ago when we kind of first broke the story. Um, but that is a sign that the direction of travel is going in the wrong way, not the right way. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of concern. And obviously the first team have got a huge rebuild job on their hands as well. You did a piece on the... The Echo website today, which is Friday when we're recording this podcast about Sunderland's strongest squad they've got available at the moment. And for all, it's by no means a threadbare team or a, a team that probably wouldn't be able to compete in League One. It, it's far from a team that you think would blow everyone else away and really, really be challenging for promotion. So there's a there's a big task ahead for, for Phil Partinson, for Tony Coton and the recruitment team this summer. Yeah, I thought it kind of summed it up when you and I were discussing it before I wrote the piece earlier this week and we kind of said, hang on. We can't play three four three here, um, which you know is the being the manager's preferred system. But we literally have not got the players to uh, to make that system fit. So we have to switch to a four three three, which tells you that at the moment the squad's pretty unbalanced to begin with. But it certainly is in terms of um, what the manager wants. So yeah, it's a huge amount of um, of work to be done, um, and a lot of it depends what the managers intend to do if. He's sticking with a three-four-three. Then, as we say, he needs to bring in a lot of defensive options because he's struggling there. At the moment, there's not a lot of pace or width in forward areas. So, if he wants a bit of versatility, then he's going to need to find some wingers from somewhere. Um, so, yeah, it is. I, and I can understand why, with everything that's going on at the club in the last few months, um, and also the news about Bali, why there is that concern. Because I think looking at that squad now, I think what at a conservative estimate, you're seven, eight quality players short. I would have said from having a balance about right from having a balanced squad that could compete for promotion. You know there are some good players under contract. I'm not trying to make it out be some kind of doomsday scenario because that's not the case at all. And even in even in the squad we've done, you've got you know Elliot Embleton is on the bench, who's an unbelievably talented player. So it's not a doomsday scenario, but yeah, there are seven or eight quality, and that's the key word: quality players who need to come in to give that squad anything anything approaching a complete look. And I guess the two areas which arguably are, are probably most pressing, obviously the, the goal, goalkeeping department, Phil Parton mm. said this week that he wants to bring in another goalkeeper for, for a bit of cover and a bit of competition for Lee Burge. And then obviously at the back as well. And, and Sunderland fans are, are keeping a, a close eye probably on, on Bristol City at the moment and what happens yeah. with Bailey Wright because for all he's expected to be released, we've not had, as we record this on Friday afternoon, official confirmation about his future. But he's a name certainly that that will be looked at by Sunderland this summer? I would have thought, so. well, yeah, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Um, I think the chances, if you'd asked me three months ago whether Sunderland could sign B right, having not got one promotion, I wouldn't have said definitely not, but I would have been sceptical. Um, you would think there's a little bit optimism, more optimism now because I think the general marketplace, the way things are going to be, a player of Bailey's stature probably comes into Sunderland's... Um, uh, what's the word? It, it might become a realistic option where I would have been maybe slightly doubtful beforehand. So, yeah, I think he's a he he's one of the players, or certainly the caliber of player where 
there would be a bit of a sigh of relief if you could that, that would kind of reassure people a little bit but we'll have to wait and see is i mean the center half is a, is a big one really um and i guess that's where the kind of the interesting thing with flanagan is because if 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 it is the case that Flanagan decides to go elsewhere all of a sudden you've basically got one option um you regularly play with three at the back and you've lost kind of three or four pretty defendable dependable performers and all of a sudden you think Frankie has a lot of work to do there which is why I can understand why the club by and large didn't want to commit to lots of contracts given the situation in the world generally but you know it's an inter- it's a it's a bit of a risk to get rid of someone like Elaine for example who you know is dependable who you know can do a job and, and is already settled and doesn't really have astronomical financial demands if you can go out and get Bailey Wright and keep Tom Flanagan and sign another excellent centre-back on top of that then then fair enough um that that is a bit of a calculated gamble and that is the position that probably over the next few weeks you'll be watching closest to see what happens with the likes of Bailey and, and with Tom as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one because usually in any, any other season, if we were sat here at the end of June and, and Sunderland's squad was in the position it is with you know one natural centre-half with pre-season on the horizon, you'd, you'd be very, very concerned. But it's, it's a bit of a strange one now because we don't know when the season's going to start. We don't know how long Phil Parkinson's actually got to, to make these signings he could have a couple of months really to bring these players in and it might work out well. And we've spoken before on this podcast about, we just don't know how the the market's going to go this year, whether it's going to be a buyer's market or a player's market, because there's just so many unknowns. No. And I would stress that as well. It's not just a sudden thing, you know, from speaking to agents in the game, speaking to players in the game, people who could be available this summer, there is a general consensus that the movement is really going to start when we get a restart date. Once we get that restart date, clubs will start to set their pre-season dates. They'll be able to budget because they should have some idea of what kind of attendances they're going to get. And I expect everything to kind of start moving from there. And actually, McLaughlin to Rangers is quite a good example of that because why could Rangers pounce? Well, Rangers are back in pre-season training because they've got a well, they haven't got an exact start date, but everybody knows Scottish football is going to return in some capacity next month. They have that little bit of clarity which has enabled them to go into the market. Don't get me wrong, some clubs will bring in the odd player and some clubs will do some deals. Um, but I think the bulk of the bulk of the business is gonna be done when we get that restart day. And that's not just Sunderland who are kind of sitting out, that's the that's what you get back from the vast majority of people you speak to um in the game across all sorts of clubs. And obviously we were looking at the Sunderland squad now, but we could yet see some more players leave as well. And it was interesting to see Will Griggs comments in an interview he did this week about his Sunderland future and his, his time at the club so far and certainly didn't shut the door on an exit, did he? He was he was quite open in the fact that if a, if an opportunity came up, then he you know potentially wouldn't turn that down. Hmm. Yeah, I quite um, you know I, I wouldn't say controversial the view. I'd oversell it, but um, it's unusual I think for a player at their current club to be quite so candid and forthright. That normally happens once you've left. Um, what I would say is with, with Will, I, I thought it was completely fair enough because he's probably being the most talked about. Well, him and Josh Madger have been probably two of the most talked about footballers in the world outside of the big divisions um, through no fault of their own, just because they got stuck at the middle of a documentary that they probably never wanted to be part of anyway. Um, so I think Will was perfectly entitled to come out and have his say because there's been a lot of things said about him over a period of time. Didn't really disagree with anything in particular that he put forward. Um the football was horrendous when Phil Parkinson first came in and fair play he's managed to improve it since then but it was horrendous when he came in it didn't suit Will Grigg and he wasn't the only player in that boat I think that's totally fair enough um, 
I don't think Sunderland did create loads and loads of chances for him last season after he first arrived in January. Did miss some big chances, but he admitted that himself. Um, so to be honest, while it was unusually candid and it was probably a little bit striking to see him talk with that level of um, of honesty or, or what have you, I, there was very few that once I sat and read it and digested it, I thought, you know what, he's bang out with that. Um, people will obviously have their own opinions of what he said about Jack Rodwell, for example. Um, and that's 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 fair enough. But by and large, in terms of himself and his time at Sunderland, um, I didn't really have any issues with that. One thing I did disagree with that he said, and again, this is not like a personal criticism or whatever, but you know, there is this, um, in my opinion, a misconception that Sunderland fans want the ball to just go back to front, fired into some big target man. The reason why Sunderland fans hark back, if as people keep saying, to Quinn and Phillips, is because they were good. It's not. It's not because they have some, you know, predilection to long balls into a target man that then gets flicked onto a little man. No, it's because that Sunderland team were really good at it, and it was good to watch because they were good at it, and other teams couldn't compete with it. It's nothing to do with the style. You know, Swansea City fans aren't pre-naturally disposed to watching slow possession football. It's because they had a really good team that did that, and that's why they probably prefer that style of play. So, I think it's a bit of a myth that Sunderland fans want direct football. Yeah, they want tempo and they want aggression and they want passion. But the reason why that team is revered is not because they played a lot of long balls into Niall Quinn. It's because they played good long balls into Niall Quinn. And he was, I tell you what, one of the best in the Premier League at them popping it off to Kevin Phillips. So, yeah, that's a bit wrong. But, you know, that's kind of by the by. Um, it's just something that's bugged me over the years. And Will is not the first and he won't be the last to say it, I'm sure. Gus Poirier, someone else who I had a lot of respect for, said something similar. Um, but in terms of what Will said about his current situation, I thought by and large it was it was probably fair enough and mostly mostly kind of pretty much tallied with what I felt I've watched over a period of time. I think it's in everyone in interest for him to get a move. Um, I think he could do with a fresh start. I think he could do with going away from everything that's gone on here. Like I say, it's not been much fault of his own. Um, and I just don't think he's a natural fit for Phil Parkinson. I don't think there's anything controversial in saying that. I think if you could get a decent deal for Will, that you could then get a striker in if Phil Parkinson's ilk I think that would just potentially be good business for anyone. The question is whether anyone can do that. Sunderland going to have to make a loss and you know, Stuart Donald's going to have to lose first. Um, it's a question of how much the loss is, how much you have to lose first and whether that makes the deal worthwhile. So I don't think Will shut the door in his Sunderland career, did he? And that was probably sensible because we still don't know if anyone's going to be able to hit those numbers and, and kind of bridge that divide. So, um, But I, think it's, I don't think there's anything controversial or unfair in saying that maybe it is best for everyone if a solution is found this summer well on that note we'll bring to an end another episode of the raw uh, we're obviously available in, in all your usual podcast places spotify apple podcast acast and more and make sure you head to sunlandeco.com for all the latest sunland afc news throughout the week thanks for your time phil and we'll be back next week thank you for listening to another episode of the raw <laughs>